morning. How y'all doing? I had an extremely late night last night. Uh, just got in. I mean, really, I got in this morning. We were down in Philadelphia celebrating 10 years of God's faithfulness at our the church that sent us up here, Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia. They just made 10 years as a church plant. Uh, we can thank God for that. <laughs> Amen. You know, be, being a, a church plant um, that's less than a year old, I mean, really a few months old, we just launched in March, the end of March, and being a church plant that is this young, thinking about 10 years is like, um, like amazing to me that not just 10 years of planting a church, but in the North Philadelphia section of Philadelphia, which is a very, very, very rough neighborhood. I mean, it's like church plant suicide to plant in that neighborhood. Um, but to see them not only plant there, but thrive and then plant other churches out of, we're here because of the investment of, uh, of that church in, um, in my life, my family's life, and a few others that came up from Philadelphia. So um, just grateful for, we celebrated, I'm telling y'all, we celebrated uh, yesterday and, and throughout the whole week. Um, listen, small groups, before we jump into the text, small groups, I, I wouldn't be pushing small groups if I didn't think it was an intricate part of your spiritual formation. Community is huge. Isolation is not, uh, it's not biblical. I mean, if you go back to Genesis chapter 2 where it says, you know, it's not good for man to be alone. Yes, that, that verse is, should, is applicable for a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, uh, but the reality is God was pushing for community not as a response to the fall, right? That didn't, the fall didn't even happen yet. So community isn't, well, let's do community because, you know, sin has entered the world. No, community was a part of the original creation. And so uh, I really want to push you guys to consider these small groups. We're going to push out four of them. Next week, we'll actually list out where they are. Uh, but there'll be four throughout Brooklyn, two in Bed-Stuy, and then we'll do a couple, I think one in Flatbush, and we'll do one some, some other place. And we, we really, really want you guys, if it's close to you, uh, consider being a part of a small group. If you have no clue what small group is, a uh, small group is just smaller clusters. As the church continues to grow, we want to continue to feel smaller, right? We don't want to come to church and not be known. And small groups helps us to really get to know one another and, uh, and also be known. It's so easy. I mean, if you read statistics on why people go to mega churches, which I'm not against mega churches, but if you read why people go to mega churches, it's because they want to be anonymous. They don't, they don't want to be known. They don't want to be seen. They want to fly under the radar. Not good for our souls. The Lord has wired us to be deeply connected with other people. And so I pray that you guys would, uh, would consider that. All right, Jonah chapter 2. Jonah 2. Uh, we are going through, as you turn in there, we're going through a series on the book of Jonah and uh, when, when I say that, we're literally going line by line and verse by verse through the book. And uh, it, it's been really, really helpful for us. Uh, the Lord has really, at least last week, has really, from the response I heard, used last week's text to really like, get after some of uh, the things in our heart and even our view of who God is. The Lord really used it. So Jonah 2 today is where we'll be. This is Jonah's prayer. Uh, but but I, would, I would contend that there is more in this than just Jonah praying. We get to see the content of his prayer uh, really lets us in on some key aspects of who God is. All right, Jonah 2, verse number 1. We'll go 1 through 10, so we'll do all of chapter 2 today. All right, verse number 1 says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me, 
Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon the holy temple. The waters closed in over, my, over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountain. I went down to the land whose bars closed up upon me forever, yet you brought me up. You brought up my life out of the pit, O Lord my God. Verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into the holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope and steadfast love. I love this verse. But I will, but I, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah upon, up upon dry land. I want to preach from the topic entitled, God can rescue you. God can rescue you. I, I wish I had titled this something about prayer because that is exactly what Jonah is doing here. But in Jonah's prayer, we get to see how God is able to rescue, not just physical rescue, but a rescue of salvation, which this text ultimately points to. Let us pray this morning. Father, this morning, like every single morning, we come in dependent on, on you. We come in uh, feasting like, uh, like birds in a nest with their mouths open, uh, looking for you to feed us. So, Father, we pray that you would meet us with the nutrients that is found in your word. I pray uh, Luke chapter 24, verse five, 45 over our church today. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And so, Father, we don't, this is just a textbook if you don't breathe on us. If, you don't, if your Holy Spirit does not open our eyes, open our hearts, open our mind, uh, th this is just a historical story uh, that some of us may think is fictional. But Father, would you meet us today through your word? Would you grab our hearts? And ultimately, I pray that we would look beyond this story of Jonah and really look to what this story is pointing to, which is an eternal rest with Christ, how Christ is able to save us as this fish was Jonah's grace, Christ is our grace. And we pray this morning that you would show us that and reveal that to us through your word. It's all for your glory, we pray. Amen. God can rescue you. There was a couple of things last week that we had to take off of the table. If we were going to do not just last week any, any justice, but if we were going to do the entire series, Any Justice, we had to take some things off of the table. One of the things that we took off the table was the fact that this story is not just some fictional book. It's not just some fictional story. God didn't put this in as a parable, right? This, he's not telling a, some made-up fictional story. Now, New Testament, you look at the Gospels, there's parables in there. There's stories that really didn't happen, but Jesus is using as illustration that's not this story. This is an actual, literal account. A real man, a prophet, was actually swallowed by a real fish. This is not some story that we tell our kids in, in children's church to keep them quiet. But this is a story that actually, actually did happen to the prophet Jonah, to the Ninevites, uh, and the Lord actually did prepare a fish uh, to swallow up the, the prophet. And so that's, that's number one. The second thing we had to take off the table was the story isn't actually only about a fish. If you walk away from the series on Jonah and just say, man, that was a great story about a fish swallowing a prophet, you've missed what the 
the book is. In fact, if, if you really want to dig deep into the book, it's actually 48 verses, small book, four chapters, 48 verses, only three of them talk about a fish. That shows you that the rest of the book, he talks about a fish. It shows us even today our story will dig into the fish, but from two to four, from three to four, it's, you, you'll see that we will be over and over again introduced with the character of our God and how he deals with sin, right? This is sin. Can we all agree that Jonah on the run being disobedient, the only prophet in all of scripture, minor and major prophet, the only prophet to ever disobey God. And this is what we see as an introduction to what sin really is. God, I know what you told me to do, but I'm going to do my own thing. That's sin. And so what we, what we see is how God, he didn't, wipe, no, he didn't wipe Jonah out and say, you know what, I'm going to just get a whole new prophet. He wasn't just concerned about just the mission, but he was also concerned about the one that he was sending. Like, if it's me, if I'm God, I created you, Jonah. I created the waves. I created the fish. If I do create a fish to, to eat you, to swallow you, it's going to probably be a great white, right? It's going to be a shark. He's going to chew you up, and he's going to devour you. God doesn't do that. He prepares a fish to swallow a man and not digest him. And so this story does introduce us to more than just the story of a fish. Let me just quickly recap Jonah chapter 1. If you weren't here last week, the Lord called Jonah to go to Nineveh, right, which is the capital of Assyria. He told him to decree their evil. It's come up before me. So go preach to them. I need you to preach to this wicked city, which is not, if you know your Old Testament history, this isn't like, this is the prophet that's going to a non-Israel nation. It's in Israel he's going to. He's sending him to Nineveh, which is a wicked, godless city, sending them there because he wants to show his grace there as well. Y'all know what Jonah does. Jonah says, nah, I'm not going to do that. You know, God says, go. Jonah says, no. Bars. I could have rapped that. God says no, Jonah says go. God says go, Jonah says no. See, that's why I can't rap. You see, I just messed that up already. Um, But what does he do? He says, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go down to Joppa, jump on a boat that goes to Tarshish, which is modern-day Spain, 2,500 miles away from where you told me to go, just because I'm trying to run away from the presence of the Lord. Well, you guys know what happened. He gets on this ship. Him and some other mariners, some other sailors are on this ship, and the Bible tells us that God hurls a storm. He didn't allow the storm. He didn't approve of the storm. God created the storm, put Jonah and all of the men in the boat into this storm. The captain of the boat runs around. He calls a prayer service. He's not even a Christian. He runs around and says, everybody, just whoever your God is, just pray to your God. Jonah's down at the bottom of the boat, sleep, goes down there, wake up. You need to pray to your God. Well, they find out that after casting lots, that Jonah is the problem. But even in that, they tried to row harder, tried to get back to the shore, and they couldn't. End up throwing Jonah overboard, and that is where our story picks up this morning. Now, it's funny because last week when we left, we left with some, with some tension, if you will, because I told you guys that the Lord over and over again, just like he did Jonah, will interrupt our lives with a series of events to align us back with his will. That's what the storm was. That's what the fish was. It was to align Jonah back with what God originally told him to do. And so last week when we walked out, we were like, all right, there'll be interruptions in our life. But what we didn't do was talk about what to do when he does interrupt us. Our text today 
introduces us to that. What to do when God interrupts our life with a series of events to get us back on track. And then Jonah 2 records how God rescues Jonah, but we get let in on how God rescues him through the content of his prayer. And so verse 1, we see that Jonah's praying in the belly of a fish. Verse 10, we see that God speaks to the fish, tells him to spit Jonah up, but sandwiched in between verse number 1 and verse number 10, we get this prayer. Let us look at the content of this prayer together and literally go verse by verse and see what the Lord will speak to us today. Verse number one, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. There's, there's three words that I, I think you should highlight if you, if you write in your Bible, draw a smiley face, if you want to draw a line out to the margin and write something crazy out there, it's okay to do. The first three words I really want us to consider this morning. Then Jonah prayed. Like, do you understand the magnitude of the first three words that Jonah is allowed to pray? This is disobedient Jonah, rebellious Jonah, Jonah that's going the wrong way, the one that God told to go to Nineveh, he said, no, I'm going to Tarshish, pays the fare to get on a boat. That Jonah, the one that is currently in sin, the one that said, I'd rather die than preach to the Ninevites, throw me overboard. That Jonah, in our text this morning, says that he prays. Now, if anyone in the text or even just in our lives is the least likely candidate to be the one to pray and get an answer, it's our boy Jonah. He shouldn't be able to pray. Like, how can Jonah pray after he's already on the run and disobedient to God, yet the text tells us, then Jonah prays? This is the first time that we get introduced to the fact that Jonah's praying. Now, think about how many opportunities that Jonah had to pray so far. Like, these unbelievers are waking everybody up on the boat and saying, pray to your God. Jonah didn't pray there. Jonah didn't pray when the men said, what, what shall we do with you that the sea may calm down for us? That would have been a good place for Jonah to pray. Jonah doesn't pray there. When the storm hits, Jonah doesn't pray. When they row harder, Jonah does not pray. In fact, right before they throw him overboard, Jonah could have used that opportunity to pray, and he doesn't pray. The first time we see Jonah pray is when he's swallowed up by a fish. And and let me just, just consider this, that the Lord may have you in a place that's in a hardship right now just because he's trying to teach you how to pray. Like Jonah had to get to this point before the Lord actually got his attention and said, hey, In fact, we'll see later on that the text is going to tell us that Jonah remembers the Lord, which means at one point he forgot. And so we see in the text this morning, listen, you have many options right now. You can call a friend, right? You can can borrow some money. Whatever you have to do in your situation to get your situation together, you can do it right now. But at some point, God puts every single one of us in a predicament that we have nothing left in our lives to do but pray. And that is where Jonah is right now. Jonah's in a place where there's no, and that's what God does. When God wants to hear from you, he'll create all types of chaos in your life just to get you to pray. So I'm not only marveling at the fact, and I am marveling at the fact that Jonah prays, but I'm also marveling at something else that that, the, that verse number one shows us. 
Look at who Jonah prays to. Look at what the text says. It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. If you circle, you should circle that phrase in your Bible as well. Jonah in the text, and we don't know, many people say Jonah wrote the the book of Jonah, and he might have. I'm not saying he didn't. But if you read, just read it straight through. The book of Jonah is, is really written in the third person. And so Jonah, if he did write it, he's writing it in the third person. But that doesn't really, that doesn't matter. The point of the text is the Holy Spirit led whoever wrote the book of Jonah, if it was Jonah, if it was somebody else, the Holy Spirit led them to write that Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. Now, keep in mind, this is disobedient Jonah. Yet Jonah still realizes that, he, that God is his God. And I don't know where you are. I don't know, you know what, what kind of, if you're in any type of mess, I don't, I don't know. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're, you're, you, you're overcome sin, you're disciplined. Maybe that's you. But if for the other 99% of us in this room, if you're in here and you're going, man, you know what? I've screwed up over and over again, or I really messed up even last night, that doesn't mean you lose your salvation. Jonah's still saved. He said, that's my God. In the midst of his disobedience, he says, it's my God. You cannot lose your salvation. It is a theological, um, um, theological theme that runs throughout the Bible, that once God puts his thumbprint on you, you're his. Okay, let me put some Bible behind that because I ain't like, ah, I, don't, I don't know about that. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 37 says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will, listen to this, never cast out. That's Jonah 6, 37. Romans 11, 29, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. He doesn't take them back. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. All right, you need one that's a little bit more explicit. These words are in red. John chapter 10, verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Over and over again, the scriptures tell us that it, it doesn't matter how far you drift from the Lord. If he's placed his grace on your life to trust in him, you cannot lose your salvation. But this, doesn't, this isn't a license to sin, right? This didn't mean, well, I'm going to just go out and be reckless. And, and if anybody has that posture, I'd press them to see if they're actually of the faith. Because no one meets Jesus and loves sin. You meet Jesus, fall so deeply in love with him that you are disgusted by sin. And so we don't love Jesus and love sin. We either love Jesus and hate sin, or we love sin and we hate Jesus. It's that simple. The text doesn't give us any middle ground. Jonah says that he prays to his God, despite the fact that he is disobedient right now, despite the fact that he is in sin. And so this little phrase, his God, in the midst of Jonah's disobedience, really shows us the theme of Scripture, that you are eternally secure. Like, is that not good news? Like, for those of us that know we struggle, we fall, we fall over and over again, those of us that can struggle can look at this text and say, Like, that's my God. I've trusted in him. And those who believe that you can lose your salvation normally believe that you earned it. Listen to me. You didn't earn your salvation. And so salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. 
You being saved is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. We don't get saved by grace and then start to do works to maintain our salvation. We are saved because Jesus Christ said, I want him on my team. I want her on my team. And once that happens, the scripture already told us, you're sealed until the day of redemption. And so John, Jonah prays to his God, despite the fact that he's on the run. I'm told of a story of uh, a family that was adopting this troubled teen. And this troubled teen, right before the adoption goes through, she betrays the family's trust. And so the entire family was like, no way we're adopting her. And the father continues to pursue the adoption. And the family's like, listen, you know she's really not your daughter. And he says, I know, but I told her she was, and so I'm going to keep my word. That is how God is. When God adopts you into his family, he keeps his word. And so it doesn't matter how far you've drifted. You may walk in here and be like, man, I haven't spoke to the Lord. I'm angry with the Lord. I am deeply in sin. Jonah was too. And yet the scripture tells us that it is his God. And so, so far, verse number one has introduced us to two themes already. The fact that Jonah prays is amazing, shows us the grace of God. Second thing it introduces us to is that he prays to his God. There's one more thing that I want to pull out of verse one before we keep going. And that is where he prays from. Look at the rest of verse number one. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. Now, I, I, man, when I read this, I'm like, man, I don't think the Lord has ever gotten a prayer from the belly of a fish before. This, this may be the first time. I asked my wife earlier today. I was like, man, can, can you think of anybody else that ever prayed from a fish? And she says, well, may, maybe someone that was getting eaten by a shark right before they died. I'm like, okay, maybe that one. But other than that, I don't see any other story where someone is praying from the belly of a fish, which he was far separated from the Lord. The scripture tells us that he was falling deep into the heart of the sea. This fish swallows him up and in the midst of that, the Lord still hears a prayer from that far, that deep down into the ocean. No man, minor prophet or major prophet has ever prayed from inside of a fish. But this, this shows us something very, very important about God. You can pray from anywhere. That's what I love about Christianity. We don't, have to get on a, we don't all have to get on a flight and go to Mecca in order to pray to our God. We don't have to turn to the east in a window and pray. We, don't have, we can open our mouths on the middle of Atlantic Avenue and reach the throne of grace. Doesn't matter where you are. And Jesus has secured that right for us. Just the fact that that's proof that the cross worked, that you're able, no matter where you are, to pray. Like Jonah, you can pray from a fish. Like Daniel, you can pray from a lion's den. Like Paul and Silas, you can pray from a jail cell and reach the throne of grace. And not just reach it, but come boldly before the throne of grace. Do you know how the priest of the Old Testament would have been confused at the fact that you can come boldly in the throne of grace? In God's presence, we can come boldly. And so Christianity doesn't have some centralized location Right. Jerusalem is not the central location. The temple in Jerusalem was torn down. Why? And it was replaced with Jesus. So our central location is Christ. You can come to him through Jesus Christ, no matter where you are. And our boy Jonah is reaching God right now through the belly of this fish. But why does he pray? It says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I call out to the Lord out of my distress 
Why is he calling out to the Lord? Because he's in distress. Distress here talks about extreme anxiety. That's what the word, if you look up the original word, it means extreme anxiety. And in the midst of his extreme anxiety, he is calling out to the Lord. Beauty in our text today is that the phrase, uh, uh, the, the Lord answers him, is amazing to me. He's calling out to the Lord in his distress, the prophet that's on the run. And then the text in, in verse number two says, I call out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answers me. Like, we run past these verses like, oh, God is supposed to answer them. He doesn't have to answer them. He's disobedient. He could have wiped him out. He could have let him drop to the bottom of the sea, but he doesn't. He not just hears him, but goes so far and say, you know what? I'm going to answer you too. Psalms 50 verse 15 says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. This also shows us a very fundamental truth about God, but very fundamental truth. God didn't answer Jonah's prayer based on Jonah being good. God answered Jonah's prayer based on the fact that he was good. And so if he answers your prayer, it's not because you've done anything so well. It's not because you got up at five o'clock, you had your what would Jesus do bracelet on. That's not why he's answering your prayer. It doesn't matter if you've fasted all week and you've prayed all week. He doesn't answer your prayer because of your religious stuff that you do. He answers your prayer purely based on the fact that he's good. Like, think about this. He's not answering Jonah's prayer because Jonah did anything great. Jonah's the only one in the scriptures that has disobeyed God as a prophet, and yet he answers Jonah's prayer. Can I suggest to you that if God is able to answer the prayer of Jonah in a, in a distressed state, he's able to answer your prayer? So many of us, when we're caught in this sin, what we do is we run far from the Lord and say, I can't pray to him. Let me suggest to you that the text tells us that you can pray to him. Verse number three, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the floods surround me, and your waves and your billows pass over me. Now, I was a little confused, and I felt like I really need to look deeply into this because when I read verse number three, the first part of verse three, it tells me that you cast me into the sea. Now, remember, this is a prayer. So Jonah is saying to God that you've cast me into the sea. If you remember last week, the sailors cast him into the sea. Look at verse 15 in chapter 1. It says, so they, talking about the mariners or the sailors, they picked up Jonah and hurled him to this, into the sea. So when I read chapter 1, verse 15, and see that the sailors threw him into the sea, and then I read chapter 2, verse number 3, and see that Jonah is saying, for you cast him into the sea. I can either say that was a contradiction, or I can say that the Lord used his sovereign hand to use these sailors to cast this man into the sea. All of verse number three shows us the sovereignty of our God. Over and over again, we see that he uses people to get you in line with his will. Not only that, but if you look at the rest of verse number three, Look, look, look at the emphatic words you are your. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the floods surround me. Look at this. And your waves and your billows pass over me. Over and over again, we see that who was in control of the waves, who was in control of the storm, who was in control of the fish was God. This, so think, I mean, consider this. 
Consider the sovereign work of God here, that he's in control of the minute stuff and the macro stuff of your life. Doesn't matter what you're going through now. You think that you were fired because your boss didn't like you. When the truth may be, you might have been fired because God was using the boss to align you with his will. Like, we don't think like that. We get in the storm and we're like, man, Lord, I just want to get out. We never consider the fact that the Lord might have us there. He just said, your ways. The storm that's in your life might be him pressing down on you. But no, we want to run from that. We want to run far from that. So these mysterious events weren't happenstance. Like, this storm didn't just happen to happen. This fish didn't just happen to be moseying them that way and been hungry that day. No, the Lord hurled that storm. The Lord created that fish. The Lord caused the waves. He caused the billows, and he caused the men to throw them into the sea, sovereignly in control. And although this is a personal testimony of Jonah, what this really shows us is what the rest of the scriptures affirm, that God is in control. That's all the sovereignty of God means. The sovereignty of God means that God is in complete control. And so you may be the one making the decisions, but the outcome of that decision is God. He's sovereignly, sovereignly in control. So he is the one that's in control of the promotion, but he's also the one that's in control of the pink slip. And we need to find a way to rejoice in both. Let's keep going. Verse number four, then I said, I am driven from your sight. Stop there for a moment because... I find it ironic that Jonah now says, I'm driven away from your sight, when three times in chapter one, we saw that he was trying to run from the sight of the Lord. He was trying to run from the presence of the Lord. Like three times it says that in verse number three, it it says, but Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish, number one, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down to the ship. Uh, going to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. You scroll down to verse number 10. It does the same thing. Verse number 10. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said, what have you done? For, the, for they knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Three times chapter one says, Jonah's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Yet in chapter two, Jonah's pleading for what he was fleeing from. He was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Now he's like, He's like, Lord, like, I'm cast from your sight. He's pleading for the Lord's presence. And, and, and that, may be, that may be active in your life. Some of the stuff that you are running from could be something that you're pleading for later. You could be running far from the Lord right now. You could be on the run. He puts his Nikes on, and he comes after you. And you could be pleading for the same thing that you are currently on the run with. He says, I'm driven away from your sight. Driven away from your sight. He tried to flee from the presence of the Lord, yet now he is pleading exactly for that same thing. He says, I I feel far from the Lord. That's what he's showing us here. I'm driven from your sight. I feel far from the Lord. And can I just suggest to you that just the fact that you feel far from the Lord really is God's grace. You know why that's God's grace? Because his wrath says, I'm going to let you go far and not feel it. That's wrath. But grace is, I'm far and I feel like I'm far. You know how many times David said in the psalm, where are you? He felt far from the Lord. But in the midst of feeling far from the Lord, he realized that that is God's grace. Romans 1.26 says, for this reason, 
God gave them up for dishonorable passions. When he lets you do your thing, if he would have just said, get to Tarshish, that would have been God's wrath. But God's grace says, no, I'm going to stop you right here. And I'm going to let you feel my distance. You pleaded to be far from me, but now I'm going to show you what it feels like to be far from me. He's sinking to the bottom of the ocean. Scripture tells us that weeds were wrapped around his head. And now he's like, I need your presence. I'm out of your sight. I'm driven from your sight. I need your presence. And so just consider that, man. That thing that you're running and praying against is something that you may be one day praying for. So Jonah looks up. Look what the rest of the verse says. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight. Watch this confidence here. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. He's not talking about the physical temple in Jerusalem. He's talking about a heavenly temple. This goes far beyond just physical salvation. It goes far beyond just God physically rescuing him and does go into a spiritual saving, which we'll see in verse number nine. As well. So some of you are in the midst of hardship right now. My hope and prayer is that you'll find confidence in the Lord. Like, think about this. He's saying, I'm driven away from your presence, but yet again, I'm going to look at your holy temple. And though, although Jonah was being cast out of the Lord's sight, he looked up to the Lord in prayer. And God can reach you in those moments. Isaiah 45, 22, turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God. But God doesn't only meet us in how far we are but how low we sink as well. Let's look at the rest of what the scriptures tell us. Verse number five, the waters closed up over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountain, I went down to the land whose bars closed up forever. Look at this phrase. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. Now consider how many times in chapter one, he went down. Right, He went down to Joppa to jump on the ship, finally gets on the ship, goes down to the bottom, bottom of the ship. Later on, we're told that he's thrown into the sea and he's going down into the sea. This is the first time that the scripture introduces us to the word up. It now tells us, yet you brought up my life from the pit. First time we're introduced to that. And although Jonah was sinking and he was hitting rock bottom, yet when he was at his lowest point, God was able to bring him up. This reminds me of the song, Love Lifted Me. I don't know if you remember that hymn, Love Lifted Me. It says, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore, very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry and from the waters lifted me. Now safe am I. That is what Jonah, if he could sing a song, that's what he'd be singing right now. That is exactly what he'd be singing. And so his life is literally being sucked away from him. And God says, I'm going to reach down now and pull you up. And God is able to bring you up from anything. I don't know what you got going on in here, but God is able to bring you up. If you're going down and you feel like you are sinking and life's issues and the chaos of Just the craziness of your life, he's able to bring you up. Let's keep going. Verse number seven. When my life was fainting away, here it is. I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. I told you already that Jonah now remembers the Lord, which shows us that at some point Jonah forgot. At some point he had to forget. And remember last week I was baffled. I mean, extremely confused at the fact that the prophet of Israel 
doesn't know that he cannot run from an omnipresent God. This means God is everywhere. So God is everywhere, yet Jonah thinks he's going to run from the presence of the God. That's temporary insanity. And so even though he lost his mind at that moment, the scripture now tells us he remembered. When I was a young boy, I went to my grandmother's house in Fedville, North Carolina. And, I, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't have one of those, you know, grandmothers that just put you in time out and you think about what you just said or you think about what you, no, 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 I didn't, I didn't have that. She got up and she'd get you if you messed up. And so I, I was at my grandmother's house and she said, all right, it's time for bed. Y'all go to bed. Y'all go to sleep. And I said, I'm not sleepy. I'm not, I'm not going to bed. I'm not sleepy. She said, no, 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 you're, you're going to bed. And I said, all right, I'm going to go to bed, but I ain't going to sleep. Now, in that moment, I lost my mind. And I knew it too. Like, as soon as I said, I'm going in there, but I ain't going to sleep. I was like, why did I just say that? She jumps up off the couch and pops me right in my mouth, which I needed. I mean, that's what we call a smart mouth, right? She pops me right in my mouth. That was temporary insanity. That's what Jonah's going through right now. Jonah's grandmother jumps up and pops him in his mouth right there. And so Jonah is, at one point, Jonah forgot the Lord. He's running from the presence of a Lord that he knows is everywhere. How do we know that? Because he tells the mariners, right, in chapter 1, he's the Lord of the sea and the land. It's all the known world. That that's all they would have known. And so Jonah is saying, I'm running from the presence of the Lord, when really he knows his presence is everywhere. And so that's temporary, and, and that's really what sin is. All of us lose our mind for a moment. But Jonah remembers the Lord and if, you're, if that's you in here, if you've gone far from the Lord, if you are temporary insane right now, you can remember the Lord today. It's the grace and the mercy that's found in our God. Psalms chapter 50, verse 22 says, Mark this, then you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. Jonah forgetting the Lord caused him to be in a storm, caused other people to be in a storm, and almost caused them his life. Yet, in this moment, in verse number seven, the scripture now tells us that he remembers the Lord. And you don't have to wait until your life is fainting away. You don't have to wait until you're about to hit rock bottom to remember the Lord. You can remember him today. And it would behoove you to remember him today. Don't leave out of here forgetting the Lord, but remember him today because if not, you could be in a series of these events. Let's keep going. Verse number eight. Those who, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope and steadfast love. Verse 9, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed to pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now, if you're in here and you're just going, he's talking about the salvation of being saved from a fish, which that is a piece of it. But I told you last week, this is what's called typology. This is pointing to a greater salvation, which is the salvation we find in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus really is, the, he, in many ways, he's compared to the fish. Read Matthew chapter 12. He compares this story to himself. This same story, he compares himself. And so Jonah really, the fish really is a representation of what Jesus is in our life. How do I say that? So you're in sin, you're, you're in a sea full of sin, and you are sinking down, and the fish really didn't devour him, but it was God's grace, which also brought him closer to Nineveh. 
It brought him closer. Many, many say that he, when the, when the fish spits him up on dry land, it actually spits him up back in the same place or close to the same place where he got on at Joppa. So it, the fish really brought him back to where he was. And that's what, see, this is what Jesus does. In the midst of our sin, Jesus is God's grace on our life. And he swallows us up and he protects us and he keeps us and he brings us closer to the Lord, brings us back to the will of God. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That should be the theme of our lives. That's, that should be what we sing every single morning before our feet hit the floor. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He is mighty to say one of the songs that we sing here. And so Jesus becomes in the gospel, what Jesus becomes is our substitutionary atonement. Let me explain what that means. That means that when God looked at Jesus on the cross, really he should have looked at you. So we should be the ones on the cross paying for our own sin. Yet in Jesus being our substitute, Jesus gets on the cross and takes all of your sin from you. Let me, let me put this in perspective for you. Past present and future sins are laid on Jesus Christ. And he now absorbed the wrath of God for you. This story points to the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Do not read this story and walk away and say, I got it. It's about a fish and a disobedient prophet. No, this is about your sin, your disobedience, and the grace we find in Jesus. That's what this is about. And so the scripture tells us salvation does belong to our God. Verse number 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah up upon dry land. Now, I don't know if this means that the fish got close enough to the shore and he just spit him out or he was a couple miles back and spit him out. We don't know what the text, text doesn't really tell us that, but here's what it does tell us. That Jonah was in this fish, but that doesn't mean that Jonah was stagnant in the same place. How do I know that? Because the, the text tells us that he was falling into the heart of the ocean. So he was still in motion, even though he was in the fish. And many of us look at being in a fish as, as a place where we're stagnant, we're really not doing anything, we're kind of stuck. But the truth of the matter is that the fish that you're in could be just pulling you right closer to where God wants you to be. He's back closer to Joppa at this point. He, so which means he was about 500 miles from Nineveh, closer than he was when he was in the heart of the earth. And so you may be in a fish, but that doesn't mean you are stuck. The fish could be moving you closer and closer back to the Lord. And so I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you need to be rescued from in here. Here's what I do know. Everybody came in here with something they need to be rescued from. All of us in here have that one thing we need God to really do in our hearts. And maybe... The Lord hadn't even shown you yet what that is. And so some of you think, well, I'm good. I don't, need, I, don't, I don't need the Lord to rescue me from anything. I'm faithful, right? I'm in his word. I'm praying consistently. I don't need, I, I, if I was you, you know what I would do? And this is what I'm doing. I'm praying that the Lord through the scriptures would reveal to me areas where I think that I don't need rescuing. No, you need rescuing. And don't think you don't. You need rescuing. And at the end of the day, whatever he's rescuing you from, it's really pointing you to a deeper need, and that is that salvation does belong to our God. Let's pray. Father, this morning we're confronted with the fact, yet again in this text, 
we're confronted again with the fact that we are disobedient. Father, we are more messed up than we know. We think we got it together, but the truth is we are far from you. Not even close. But through Jesus Christ, we get to be considered spotless and righteous. And so, Lord, there's this, this thing called positional sanctification and progressive Positional meaning, Father, in Jesus Christ, we are, we're secure. We're perfect. We got it together in Jesus. So positionally, you look at us and you've deemed we're holy. But positionally, I mean practically, progressively, we are a hot mess. And Lord, we need you to reveal to us our disobedience. Reveal to us how close we are to being like Jonah. Some of us don't think we are. Father, would you expose that to us and give us the power to walk in overcoming victory? I believe all of us can do that. I don't think anybody in here goes and lives a perfect life from here on, but I think all of us can look more like Jesus every day. Lord, through this story of a disobedient prophet and your grace in saving him, not just saving Nineveh, Like, the story would have been great if you just saved the nation Nineveh, but yet you're after a disobedient prophet. Thank you, Lord, because many times we are that disobedient one. And some of us in here today are that disobedient one. Father, let us confess that to you, and let us run to your cross, which gives us victory to overcome. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.